were swinging on the big white gate, despite the heavy rain, and singing ten green bottles. When we got down to four, Arthur decided to swing just that little bit harder, and I shot off and landed in a puddle like a frog. Does Mrs. Connell live here, the new? We stared at the boy, standing there dripping, with the brown envelope in his hand. He must have come on his bike from the village. Because of the puddle incident, nobody noticed his arrival. I'll take that, said Arthur with the authority of the eldest. But the boy was not to be put off. It's for Mrs. Cornell. We all ushered him up the drive to find my mother, who was, as usual, making sandwiches in the kitchen for yet another picnic in the rain, with Alan in his high chair singing and conducting with a spoon. I didn't remember ever receiving letters on holiday, let alone a telegram, so there was considerable interest in the soggy message. Oh, this is sickening. I knew it was a mistake to rent to the Stennings. Frank, do pay attention. Oh, I suppose I'll have to go back. Oh, Lord, what about the hens? We were mystified. What was happening? We were used to the remarks about the Stennings as my mother had taken against them from the start. But to think of something happening to our beloved hens was appalling. My father wandered in from the other room with the newspaper in his hand and read aloud, Basement under two feet of water, stop. Cannot cope, stop. Please come, stop. Stenning, stop. My father screwed the paper up into a ball and looked philosophical. I had expected a little more reaction from him, as this is before his religious phase, a phase brought on by amazement at still being alive whilst on bomb disposal and getting a shell hit. I suppose the flood is nothing if you've been digging up bombs and expecting them to blow up in your hands. We'll just have to cope as best we can, dear, he said, picking up the paper again. I immediately wondered what meals would be like, as Dad had said he couldn't boil an egg. And I also wondered how Alan would cope with Mum not being there. What if he had one of his nightmares? They sometimes went on for hours, even when he was awake. We had arrived, as usual, a week earlier by lorry. My mother hired a lorry from Mr. French's garage in Coldingham which cost five pounds each way, plus a driver. It was years before I realised that not everyone went on holiday in this way. It was just after the war, and I suppose with two adults, five children, a dog and a cat, it was too expensive to consider the train. Anyway, that was the way we went. My mother and Alan cosily in front with the driver, and the rest of us, with lots of bicycles, wedged in the back. We could rely on Moppet to mess his basket just outside Musselboro. And usually one of the bicycles fell on us. Moppet survived several hazardous journeys like this and lived to the ripe old age of 18. We nearly lost him at nine to an exceptionally fierce and brave weasel and he had some lucky escapes from Ricky, our dog, finding him sunbathing in the back garden. In spite of being soaked by the heavy rain, which had started a few days earlier and showed no sign of stopping, 
I had begun to feel the familiar surge of excitement as the lorry swung through the village. Past the bread shop with a lovely smell of fresh bread. Past the post offices, run by the Miss Robinsons, where I had once seen a great Dane and thought it was a lion escaped from the circus. Out onto the Eyemouth Road, and there was our dream home, Bonner Dub. Through the big white gates, up the drive, past the spacious lawns where we had brilliant games of hockey played with walking sticks from the hall stand, and then out and releasing Moppet, who usually disappeared for a couple of days, overcome with excitement at the country smells and wildlife. When it was sunny, you couldn't imagine a more idyllic place to be. It was such a beautiful house with wonderful books illustrated by famous artists like Edmund Dulac, and a veranda like you see in old photos of the British in India, where Moppet laid out dead shrews in the morning for inspection. Mrs. Russell Simpson, who owned this holiday paradise, had let it to us for a month, as she was a great friend of my mother's family. On a normal summer, we would go to the beach, which was a mile away nearly every day, biking or walking, and spent a lot of time in the unkempt, spiky garden of Mrs. Russell Simpson's beach hut, which was the last in the row, and therefore the furthest from the Italian ice cream stand. But this summer, because the rain was so bad, we had abandoned the beach altogether, and I spent a lot of time looking at a huge tome with pictures of Don Quixote and listening to Sing You Sinners, The Good Humoured Ladies and Sparky's Magic Piano on the gramophone. Amanda and I would dance dreamily together, dreaming of future lovers to Dave King's Memories Are Made of This. Well, Chris and I would pretend to be opera singers and mime to Chile's, or Gigli as we called him, singing Nessun Dorme. Arthur was fascinated by a little model engine that ran off meths and occasionally braved the rain to go and shoot at something with an air rifle. I don't know why this was allowed. He once shot a piece of stone into my leg. Alan was zooming along the floor on his bottom, wearing out led another pair of shorts because he couldn't walk yet, to get near the gramophone, where he would sit still with his head on one side, completely absorbed in the music. I thought Dad did very well with the meals. We had lots and lots of sandwiches and went for very long walks in the rain, where he would regale us with army anecdotes and made up stories about teddy bears. We used the Miss Robinsons a lot, because it was always fun to go, and they sold everything. The three were very alike, with faded ginger hair, dark blue pinafores, and lovely deep soft Scottish voices. But one of them had three warts on her face, which I thought was so unfair. Why couldn't they have had one each and spread the load? We were coming back from an exceptionally long walk, spurred on by my father, Left, left, left my wife and six fat children. Right, right, right in the middle of the kitchen floor. I left, left, left my wife and six fat children. Ooh, mummy's back. With squeals of joy, we rushed to mob my mother, thinking of hot meals 
and hoping to hear news of the hens. My mother, after greeting us rather tiredly, muttered something about the Stennings being dirty people and what about tea. And it wasn't till much later in the evening, after playing Mahjong rather half-heartedly, that we heard what had been happening in Edinburgh. Mrs. Hepburn, our next-door neighbour, wasted no time in greeting my mother. Oh, Mrs. Connell, it's terrible, the mess, and the walls down, and the Lord Provost furious. Mystified, my mother assured her everything would be fine, and went into the house to find Mrs. Stennings rocking backwards and forwards on one of the dining-room chairs with a rather grubby baby on her lap and muttering incoherently. For days, everybody who lived in Warriston Crescent had watched as the water of Leith rose behind their gardens, but not one of them had thought it would ever come over the wall. During the night, it did poured through their gardens into the basements, but ours was rather worse because of the hens. We had taken out a brick or two from the wall so the hens could get to the grass beside the water. So it had come in earlier to ours, knocked down the dividing wall between us and the current Lord Provost, ruined his lovely herbaceous border, and he was threatening to sue us. I was very shocked by this part of the story. We'd been to Christmas parties at his house. The treachery of adults. My mother said the mess was truly awful in the basement, and some beautiful Victorian dresses and treasures had been ruined, stored in a trunk down there. And what with the smell of the flood water, and drying some not-too-clean nappies, it was all a mess. We groaned sympathetically when my mother was telling us this, but had noticed that she had not mentioned once the hens. We just knew they must be dead. A few days after this, we had quite a lot of fun, as the lawn by this time was about a foot underwater, and with turning tables upside down, you could have terrific games of pirates, and it was rather fun walking on the lawn underwater. Bit squelchy, you screamed if you trod on a worm. It was years before I discovered the fate of the hens. My mother, because it was just after the war, had donated the bodies of Horatia and Harriet to Mrs. Maitland and Mrs. Hepburn, and had tentatively offered the Lord Provost harmonica as to make up for ruining his garden. But Henrietta had been brought back and served up as chicken sandwiches to the hungry hordes of Bonadab.